It is good to be back in Kansas. Uh, there are some good things about Kansas. It, it is also hot, though. Uh, that's not the greatest thing. And uh, thank you, Ben, for preaching for me while I was gone. He must be downstairs today. Okay. Well, uh, I've heard some input from uh, Ben's sermon, so I'm glad that he was able to do that for me. Um, let me give you a little bit of uh, background on my vacation, how it went, just to update you. I know you don't need to know everything about my life, but uh, here's a few things. So started out um, two days before our vacation. I rebuilt the motor in a Suburban that had been sitting for six months so we could take it on the vacation and uh, replace the cam and lifters um, with the help of my family and um, my wife helped me out with that very much. And then so right after we got that done, the next day we took off on a trip and we drove to uh, Lake Superior. And when we got there, we strapped on our frame packs and put everything we needed in there for several days. And we hit the trail for three days. We backpacked. We spent some time on the lake, at the beach, on the water. Lake Superior is very clear, it's very beautiful, and it's very cold. Then we did some more hiking, and uh, after that, the, the hike that we took next was, it was only a 10-mile single-day hike, so we didn't stay out overnight, and about five miles into this hike, um, we came to a cliff overlook that was probably more than 100 feet high and overlooked Lake Superior. As I looked over the lake, visions of sailing and storms filled my mind, and I began to get excited. And as we hiked along this cliff for, I don't know, maybe a, a mile, um, we would tuck back in the trees and come back out. I noticed on the horizon of the lake, because you can't see the other side of the lake, it's, it's just water, it started to become dark. I started to get excited about that. And sure enough, a storm was coming across the lake. It was beautiful. I have a picture here of it to show you. I was able to see the storm, and at the point that I realized it's, it's coming closer and closer, the only thing that I could do was just look at that storm in amazement. And I, I can't explain the feeling um, that I had. We hiked a little bit further and uh, looked at it again. We could start to see the rain hitting the water. It was rapidly getting closer and closer. And I, I, I thought of our verse this week because we're, we're going through the book of uh, 1 Timothy. And I, I lifted up my hands. I, the only thing I could think to do is just how amazing is God's power right before me right now? And then we put on our, our uh, raincoats and our ponchos and tucked back into the woods and kept hiking. And sure enough, it hit us. And um, for the next, uh, I don't know, hour, it, it was pouring down us. It was a toad strangler. It was raining so hard that the, the trails were flash flooding and we were ankle deep in water and everything was wet except what our ponchos were covering. And that storm just made me think, man, this is what life is all about. You know, 
praising God without distraction so that when the storm hits, your attention is so tied to God that nothing can move you away from him. Today's verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. I thought about that verse as I could do nothing but just praise God for what was before me on that cliff. Now, Paul is writing this verse and the next several verses after this one to Timothy, who is a church leader, because the church is distracted. Paul sees that people who have come together to worship God have lost their focus on God. And he addresses several things that are distracting them. But before we get into those several things that are distracting them, I wonder if you can identify anything that distracts you from worshiping God. Let's be honest. We live very distracted lives. What do you take most seriously in your life? Like, what are your top five important things? Does Jesus even register in your top five serious things in your life? Oh, maybe you put him at the top of your list, but maybe you're so distracted by two, three, four, and five that you forget about number one. And I, I really like when something happens to me, like that storm, that helps me focus on God 100%, like an unobstructed 180-degree view of His power right in front of me. I know some people, some of you that live your life, <clears throat> you're really good at staying focused on God. And I look up to that. It's, it's like His amazingness is, is, is always right in front of you so that you can always see that he is the biggest and most important thing. <clears throat> you see the Lord's hand in everything that happens. But for some of us, we lose track of God's amazingness pretty fast. Sometimes I think back to the Israelites when they were wandering around in the desert. And I think... Uh, Man, they were pretty lucky, you know? God's presence was with them in a, a pillar of a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. All the Israelites had to do was to look up and there was God right in front of them. So they couldn't forget. It doesn't seem like they were distracted by everyday things, but there God was. And I wish God could be a pillar of fire all the time in my life. Plus, the Israelites had free food. They, they didn't have to work for their food. It's just manna fell from heaven, and uh, they were able just to eat the manna. I mean, you, you can't deny that. That would be a, a good thing. But, you know, even the Israelites got distracted. Even with God right before them, they got distracted. And they whined and complained about life. And sometimes I whine and complain to God, why can't you just always be so big and so captivating that I cannot lose focus on you, God? And it doesn't take too long for me to look around and, and see life 
and see living things and other people. And I see so much other evidence of God's presence right in front of me. And I remember it's not God that has the problem. It's me. Whether God is in the storm or in the still, quiet voice, I must learn to not be distracted from him. So the main point for today is to get rid of distractions. And sometimes we can't remove distractions, but sometimes we have to train ourselves not to be distracted. Our verse today is dealing specifically within a place of worship. So what is it that distracts you in this place of worship? This worship, this worship service includes praising God through song and preaching of the scriptures. So during the whole service, maybe some things that distract you we have so many things, but maybe it's your, it's your telephone in your pocket. Sure, you put it on silent so it doesn't distract your neighbor, but maybe it buzzes. And uh, you don't think it's a big deal, but when you're praising God, and bzz, bzz, you know, it distracts you just long enough to you hit the silent button. I don't know, but that would be an easy thing to solve. Leave the phone in your truck or turn it on silence. That's an easy fix. But there are some things that are not easily fixed and we can't directly do anything about, so we have to um, learn not to be distracted by it. Maybe the, the music here is, uh, is too loud for your taste. Uh, by the way, uh, praise to our sound crew who does an excellent job at <clears throat> um, mixing all of this, this beautiful music up here to fit in a small room. Like, I know that that's really difficult, and, and we struggle with getting it right every, every week because of the sound equipment and everything, but you guys do an excellent job at the sound booth, and the worship team does an amazing job. But, but some things are just really hard for us to change, so we have to learn to not be distracted by them. Now, feel free to give me feedback on things like the background color of my slides. Am I doing that wrong? Uh, you know about the music but some of the things are just not easy to change you have to learn how not to be distracted <clears throat> there used to be a key on this keyboard over here and uh, our, our keyboard player um, Ben is so good but this one key right in the middle would make a loud sound when when um, it was hit and so a keyboard key, key I'm not an expert but I, the way I understand is if you push it lightly it makes a soft sound you push it fast and hard and it makes a loud sound well one key didn't know that that was the way he was supposed to be and so it always made the loud sound and um, so one day I didn't tell Ben because he would be nervous about it but I took the keyboard all apart and it was in a hundred different pieces more than a hundred probably and I couldn't fix the key so I moved it all the way to the end one that's probably never played because when I was sitting in worship, uh, I'm a very distractible person, and I'd be worshiping, and all of a sudden that key would, would be loud, and I'd be, oh, what is that? And it would distract me off. And I should have I learned to, to deal with that, but anyway, I, I fixed it somehow. Some things we can uh, fix, and some things we have to learn to deal with to get these distractions that take us away from God. And here's what's going on in the first century church in Ephesus, the church that Paul is writing to Timothy about. The men are distracted by anger. 
Let's read the rest of this verse, verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Anger and controversy. That's what's distracting these fellas he's writing about. They're coming to church with the last business transaction that went wrong on their mind, and they're angry about it. They're thinking about their neighbor who won't keep their goat in their own yard. It used to be me, by the way. I, I had goats, and it, if your fence won't hold water, it won't hold, hold a goat. That's very true. Um, so finally, I sold the goats because they wouldn't stay out of the neighbor's yard. They're thinking about the controversy, the, 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 the thing that makes them mad while they're supposed to be praying and worshiping God. The King James Version, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8, um, says, uh, without wrath and doubting. It appears that anger is so much filling their minds that they're not just distracted, but they are doubting things. Maybe even God. Can you imagine it? And instead of hands lifted up, praying to God, worshiping God, these men are thinking, man, I can't believe that guy. He's such a, a punk and there he sits on the front row pretending to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe this worship thing is, is useless and no good anyway. Maybe you don't have to imagine that, though. Maybe you've been there yourself. Maybe we all have. It isn't good. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. behavior. Get rid of it. Look at Psalms chapter 37, verse 8. It says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Now me very distracted. Anger does get the best of me, even in worship service. <clears throat> While I'm there uh, trying to worship God, I'm thinking about, uh, man, why didn't I spend more time on my message this week? Why didn't I, my, my sermon is going to be so boring, people are going to fall asleep on me. I should have said this and wrote this and I get angry at myself. Sometimes I even find myself gritting my teeth. It keeps me from worshiping God. I admit this is a problem for even me. So when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, stop being angry, he says, this is a distractor. You should lift your hands up free from anger. I remember Moses uh, back to the Israelites when they're walking around in, in the desert. And uh, the Israelites, uh, going back to, to whining and complaining, um, they're like, yeah, we have, we have manna, but, but man, we, don't, we ain't got no figs. We don't have grapes. We don't have pomegranates. We don't even have very much water. 
and start whining and complaining, um, even though God's providing for them. And so Moses is frustrated. You can uh, probably relate to Moses being frustrated at, at his followers whining and complaining. And so Moses goes to God. God, they're whining and complaining. What do I do about it? And God says, hey, go, go speak to this rock, and we'll give you water from that rock. I'll, I'll make water. And so Moses is like, and he grabs his stick, his staff, and he goes to that rock. God said to speak to the rock. Moses whacks it with his stick twice. And yeah, yeah, water comes from the rock. God provides water from the rock. But because Moses acted out of anger, God said, okay, now you don't get to go to the promised land that the Israelites are going to. You're not going to be able to go to that physical land. He acted out of anger. He let that anger uh, uh, prevent him from having communication with God as it should have been. All of us get angry. But don't let your anger control you. And don't let it distract you from worshiping God. Paul specifically speaks to men, by the way. And I don't know for sure, but I think that men are more susceptible to distractions than women. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. Um, I'm glad I don't. Um, men, um, you need an outlet. And it's because I'm a man. You need an outlet. Uh, something like uh, martial arts, uh, running, sports, mechanic work. For me, it has to be something physical, an outlet. Uh, I strongly encourage that. Maybe for you, though, it's, it's maybe reading or it's music. I don't know what works for everyone. But find a way to drain the stress of work and the tension that builds up in you so that you don't take it out on your family and so that it doesn't distract you from Jesus when you're trying to worship him. Men, this verse says that we need to be free from anger and to lift our hands up in prayer. Now, of the lifting our hands up, that's probably enough to distract you right there. Like if somebody started lifting their hands, what's that guy doing? Or... Uh, this, this right here is the um, common prayer stance for how they prayed in worship services in the first century church. Um, so I'm not saying we had to lift our hands up. Um, that's just how they did it. That's how they worshiped God. So whatever, whatever here helps you worship God, that's what you need to be focusing on and not the anger. This means that wherever you are praising God, you do it like there is nothing in front of you, but a mighty God who holds the power of life and death, and he is so important that he has 100% of your attention. That's how you worship. And that's how you be a godly example to your family. Now, women. I don't really want to preach directly to the women. Um, I have four women folk in my household right now, three daughters and a wife, and it usually doesn't go well when I preach specifically to them. Um, but I can't skip the verses because God has them in our Bible for a reason. So here's what's going on in the Ephesian church with the women. They are drawing attention to themselves. 
they're going to church to impress other people not to worship God. As I already stated, I think men are more susceptible to distraction than women are. I don't know for sure. But uh, so women, you hold a power to distract a man that you probably don't fully understand. Verse 9 says, And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothing. Now, uh, here's how several... um, Here's how some commentaries define modesty. Modesty, I want women to be modest in their parents, it says. Uh, One of them says, Modesty is an attitude of humility and decency in dress, language, and behavior. If you are modest, you do not draw undue attention to yourself. Instead, you seek to glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Another commentary says, when, you're mo- when we're modest, we choose humility over vanity by making choices according to what's best for all concerned rather than just indulging our own desires. Doing that requires self-control. And one more commentary says, to be modest is to consider what our clothing and behavior represent. What our clothing and behavior represent. Now, th- this can just as much speak to a man as a woman. Just like uh, anger can just as easily probably distract a woman from worshiping. Paul is, Paul is specifically speaking to the women in this church, in the church of Ephesus. Um, he says, what, uh, what is, is your clothing behavior representing? This last definition reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 16, verse 19 through 20. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. I think in our modern culture, uh, it's pretty common for um, folks to say, well, it's, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want. I can be in control of my body. Uh, I choose uh, what I do with it. This scripture, our Bible, tells us something contrary to that. It says, you, you do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price high price, so high that you can't afford it. You belong to God. So whatever we do in our lives, we must represent God. Now, men have a physical attraction to women. It's, and we must harness that attraction and control it. If you're married, you can apply it to your wife. Otherwise, you have to subdue it and control it. And in the same way men are geared towards uh, physical attraction to women, I think women are geared towards drawing attention um, by the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you act, in whatever way it is. um, Typically, I think women want attention. And that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. It's 
It's the way you would go about drawing that attention that matters. Our scripture gives a right way to get attention and a wrong way to get attention. Here's the wrong way. It's by using your hair and your outfit. Now, you could wear something outrageous to church. Every Christmas, we have an uh, ugly sweater contest. I don't know who won last year. Usually, it's Howard. Howard usually wins the ugly sweater contest. And so, if, uh, if Connie were to wear that ugly sweater to church, um, the rest of us might be like, what is, she, what is she wearing to church, you know? It might draw that, uh, and uh, probably we wouldn't get distracted by it for too long because uh, we know that Connie and Howard uh, like to tell jokes and make people laugh. Um, but, you know, something in these people in the first church in Ephesus, these ladies were wearing, so I don't know if it was big hair or outlandish dresses, uh, something to wear, you know, even the other ladies, you probably know this, the other ladies like, what is she wearing? Sometimes ladies can distract other ladies more than they would distract the other guys. You can um, pretty easily, by the way you dress, uh, be a distraction. You could be uh, drawing attention to yourself by uh, also wearing something that draws attention to your body, something uh, revealing or extra tight. In this case, be aware, um, maybe, maybe you don't think that a certain outfit you have will be a problem, but uh, it's, it's probably a good idea to maybe, maybe ask your husband, or if you're not married, ask your dad, or better yet, your grandparents. Ask your grandparents for dressing advice. I think that would be, be good, it would be safe. I suppose you could get carried away trying to figure out what kind of clothing will draw attention so you don't wear anything that draws attention. That's probably why the, the Amish and the Mennonites to wear the style of clothing they do, you know, all the same. And they, they, they probably have this verse under control. They don't have to, to worry about distracting that. But we, we, we need to be aware um, that there are certain things that draw attention. Road cones are blaze orange for a reason. It gets attention. Now, a lot of modern ladies' clothing is styled in such a way for a reason. It's to get attention. And that's why it sells. Now, I'm not suggesting a dress code here at Colony Christian Church at all. I'm not saying you can't wear blaze orange or green or, or anything. Absolutely not. Uh, that would be absurd for that to happen. Um, it, it, it's, it's just like this. If what you wear draws attention to yourself, then it may be distracting to others and maybe distracting their attention from God. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. This is a beautiful woman, which I'm going to pause a few times here, a beautiful woman, which, which is a good thing, right? God made women beautiful, not men. I don't see any beautiful men in this congregation. God made women beautiful. It's a good thing. So a beautiful woman who lacks discretion, 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 thank you, so we could say, who lacks discretion, apply that to the verse in 1 Timothy that we're reading, basically who is not being modest in their appearance. The beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. 
Now that's a funny image. Uh, pretty funny, unless it's your gold ring, your gold ring in the snout of a pig. And then it's disgusting. You don't want your gold ring in the snout of a pig. The point is, the two don't go together. A gold ring doesn't go with a pig. And uh, just as beauty doesn't go with a lack of discretion. True beauty, if you want true beauty, you must be modest. You must have discretion. Now, here's the right way to get attention. Talk about some of the wrong ways. Uh, the right way would be in verse 10. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Good things they do. Uh, young men who are not married yet, just ask an older man who is married, and they'll tell you to pick a wife who has dignity, who is kind, and who does good things. They'll tell you that when a wife is nice, your life is full of spice, like sugar. Sugar's a spice. Life is sweet when your wife is sweet. But if you pick a wife only because of her physical features and she's not nice, you won't want to live with that. Scripture says so. In Proverbs chapter 25, it's better to live alone in a corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <clears throat> Fellas, don't choose your wife based on what she looks like. Look at who she really is. Now, back to the right way to get attention. First uh, Peter chapter 3 says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. So this, uh, this verse, so precious to God, um, Verse 5 after that says, This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. My wife, Jessica, sometimes she thinks about this verse when it says gentle and quiet spirit. And, and if, if you know my wife, she, she worries about that because she's the kind of person who likes to get things done, who... Um, is, is a very powerful person, and she accomplishes a lot, and she worries that she's not gentle and quiet. But if, when I see you work with a, a small person who needs love or needs care, I see that gentle and quiet spirit come out, and it's so precious to God. That's another point here that we see in this verse. We should value what God values. If it's precious to God, it should be precious to us. And the last part of this verse that I, I evidently didn't get up here um, says, uh, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Going back to the gold ring and the pig snout, husbands, don't be the pig. Don't let your wife be a pretty gold ring stuck in a pig's snout. If they are going to accept your authority, and live by you, then you better treat them with respect and dignity like God is 
telling us to. Proverbs chapter 31 talks about a truly beautiful woman. It, in verse 25, it says, She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. She's not concerned about what's coming because of her strength and her dignity. It says in verse 30, that charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Right here in this verse, we see the ultimate factor of a beautiful woman. So young men, if you haven't been married, you're not married, here is your top priority. Here's what you put on the top of your list. You are looking for a woman who fears the Lord, the ultimate factor of a beautiful woman. What is their relationship with Jesus? Do they have that faith? All right, so let, let's review. Uh, men, you need to get rid of your anger, to get rid of... Uh, anything that distracts you. Get rid of your distractions so that when you're praising God, uh, you're actually focusing on Him. And it's very easily, very easy to, to um, actually be involved in worship and still in your mind. Like I know it's true because I tend to focus on whatever I'm working on. So uh, I might be adjusting the rocker arms inside of an engine while I'm singing um, you know, reckless love. That's not focusing 100% on God. We need to get rid of these distractions, not let them distract us from God. And we need to focus on God and train ourselves to see Him so much that we cannot miss Him. We can't miss God in everything that we are doing. And women, there's a wrong way to get attention, and that will be with your hair and with your clothes. Uh, don't get attention that way. And there's a right way to get attention. That's by the good things you do and by your faith in Jesus. There's a lot of things that are trying to draw our attention. A lot of things to distract us by. Don't let them get in the way of your worship with the Lord. And the number one reason that we cannot be distracted is because the gospel was made, was the gospel was put in place for us. We wouldn't have a chance if it weren't for Jesus giving his life on the cross, dying and being raised from the dead, paying the ultimate price and defeating death by the resurrection. If we're distracted from that, not only are we going to miss how important that is for our life, but we're going to miss that others around us need that saving grace, the gospel of Jesus. And if you haven't accepted that gospel, my invitation is for you to accept it today. And I want you to uh, give that same invitation to people in your life that don't know Jesus. Uh, they may not view the things in their lives as distractions because they don't have Jesus uh, to compare the worldly stuff to. Introduce them to him. Tell them about how he's worked in your life. And when you're praying to God, when you're worshiping Him, don't let the other things compete for Jesus' time. Will you pray with me now?
Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to read your word, to sing praise to you. I thank you so much.